Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm your host, Neil McCready. I am in the Clark Ford studios. I'll tell you about Clark Ford in a minute. Martin Palomo is with us as well back in Madison, as he always is. Our guest on the show today is Michelle Dugan. She is the uh, a mortgage broker and owner of MS Lending there in central Mississippi. We're going to talk to her about uh, a number of things. Home ownership, no cost, uh, no closing cost, re- refinance, uh, a lot of different things. We're going to talk to her about questions that you probably think about all the time as it pertains to home ownership. We'll get to that in a minute. First, let me tell you that, like I said, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call the number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He's going to send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It is uh, absolutely that simple. It's right to the bottom line. He's not going to hassle you. There's no haggle. He's just going to send you a quote, and then from there, you decide what you want to do. You can leave it at that, or you can start shopping that quote around, or you can do what I've done, which is get into a Clark Ford. You'll love the product. You'll absolutely love the service that you get after the sale. I tell people this all the time. Corey wants to be your truck guy. He wants to be your car guy, and he will prove that to you. People say, what does that mean? Call the number. You'll start to find out. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we get into the show and start badgering Michelle with with, uh, questions, your intelligent questions, my idiotic questions, uh, tell people about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely, Neil. So, um, you know, Pinnacle Trust has been around for more than 20 years. Um, you know, we were started with, by Stacy Wall and Jenna Parrish and, uh, and Beth McGall. They broke away from, you know, a large bank um, wealth management department to uh, start their own independent trust company that, uh, that has, you know, a focus on serving the high net worth and mass affluent, um, you know, in Mississippi and really kind of broadly in the southeast. You know, we serve clients in over 20 states, um, you know, through the U.S. and one of the things that we like doing, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to have Michelle on as a guest, is uh, you know, is bringing people like Michelle to the table where uh, you know there might be questions or or comments or even uh, you know <clears throat> some some worries about something that's related to their personal finance that you know I'm not the expert on. Um, but we have the network of folks to bring in the professionals to help folks figure out uh, their problems, you know, as, a, as they uh, relate to a specific topic. You know, today I'm really excited to talk about mortgages because it's something we haven't talked about. And, um, and then we'll talk about some strategies as well. And I think there's a lot of great info that Michelle is going to be able to, you know, to share with us and tell some stories. But, um, you know, we want to be the quarterback for, for our client's financial team. We want to be the first phone call whenever our clients have a need, whether it relates to their investment, retirement, you know, 
should I buy a second home? You know, how should I structure that? Uh, you know, should I refinance my home? Um, you know, should I pay it off versus, you know, investing the difference? And we'll kind of talk about all of those things. But we want to be the first phone call, um, you know, for our clients. Uh, also, the best way to get in touch with us, uh, we're on Facebook, Pinnacle Structure page you can like us on facebook you can like our mind on my money podcast page as well um you follow us on twitter uh and then also you can reach us at the office at 601-957-0323 and if you prefer email to a phone call um you can get us at info at p-i-n-n trust.com as i told you at the beginning michelle dugan is joining us today michelle how are you I'm well. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. I guess before we get started, tell the listeners out there a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. All right. So I am uh, a mortgage broker. As you said earlier, I went out and opened my own company in March of last year. I've been in the industry, goodness, about 13 years now. Before um, before I got into mortgage lending, I was a real estate paralegal. I had um, aspirations of going to law school and somehow fell into the mortgage business and never looked back, thankfully. <laughs> Don't regret that decision one bit. Um, but, but yeah, I love the mortgage industry. I worked for several really great leaders um, in our area, learned under the young for several years. And then over the past year, there's really been um, a big movement in the mortgage world and mortgage brokers are they're kind of coming back. They had um, 2008 when the market crashed, they made it really difficult for brokers to continue to thrive in the industry. But now there's been a lot of changes and I think customers are becoming, you know, more open to the fact that, uh, that brokers are a really great place to get a mortgage from. So as those changes happened, I decided that it was, it was time to kind of dip my feet in that water and go out and do my own thing. So that's what I'm doing. And, uh, just super, super excited to be here talking to y'all today and get to share a little bit of what I know with y'all's listeners and, uh, talk about, I think mortgages are a little, a little boring in general for most people, but I find them fascinating since that's what I do all day. So hopefully I can share a little bit that'll, um, kind of open up, you know, your listeners' minds to the world of mortgages and make them realize that they're not quite you know, you were kind enough to send some 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 talking points and things that you would be able to talk about since uh, I don't certainly work in the mortgage industry at all. And so, one of the first things you sent kind of caught my attention because it. I've wondered. You know, you have these conversations sometimes. They're sort of morbid, but you know. Um, you have these conversations about, hey, here's what you should do. Like I was telling my wife, look, if I, you know, if I die, here's what I think you should do with the life insurance money. And it was the first thing I told her was pay off the house, pay off the house. You won't have to worry about your mortgage ever again, pay off the house. And based on sort of the wording of one of the things that you sent to us, I'm wondering, did I give her bad information? Are, are homeowners, are homeowners doing themselves a disservice by having a paid off home? Honestly, I think that it comes down to the individual homeowner. If someone doesn't have enough self-discipline, then perhaps having a paid-off home is the best option for them. But if they've got somebody like Martin, you know, that can take that money that they could pull out of their home and invest it in other areas, I mean, you're not interest rates are so low right now that if you can borrow money over a 30 year period for, or even if it's a 15 year period and you can borrow it at three and a half, you know, 
four percent, um, and even four percent is high these days. Um, if you can borrow it at such a low interest rate and invest it and get back six, eight, ten, twelve percent on that money, I mean, yeah, you're definitely doing a disservice by having that huge paid off asset there, in my opinion. But for some people, you know, they're they can't quite comprehend <laughs> paying on a mortgage and investing it in some other vehicle. So yeah, it doesn't. It's not necessarily the best idea for some people, but ultimately, I think it all comes down to self-discipline um, and and them being able to trust someone else to to handle those you know those investments for them. Because I'm no expert on investing, but I do know that I could put my money somewhere else. You know, like I said with Martin, and he could make that money. Uh, he could make more money for me than I'm paying that interest rate over that time. Yeah. I mean, essentially we talk to our clients about that too and because uh, we'll have folks call in and you know even if it's not a death situation but they've got you know a big chunk of cash and they're like oh, i'm gonna pay the house off and i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa hold on time out like let's talk about this and i'll ask you know of course what's your rate you know and some of them will be like oh you know i'm three three and a half percent and i'm like first no we're gonna yeah. we can make you know we can make the difference of in in, in interest just an in interest income or investment growth like you know we could make two three percent a year above and beyond what right. uh you know you're paying and then you're losing the deduction of the interest and i know that there was some caps this year with the tax with the tax reform and not this year it was like last year and going forward right. with, with the tax reform from trump but those are some strategies and it's just like being the bank right because that's what the bank does Absolutely. you know the bank wants people to put their money in the bank and they're going to pay them, you know, one, one and a half percent on a CD. And then they turn around and lend out it, you know, four or five percent, depending on some of it. Sometimes it's mortgage. Sometimes it's personal loan. Sometimes it's business. And they, they make the spread. Yeah. So all becoming your own bank. you are becoming the bank. Yeah. yeah. And, and there is, you know, it's funny. It's and I mean, my wife's going to smoke me whenever. I say this. She doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so we're in good shape. Uh, but there's, you know, one of the things that I did, you know, Neil, talking about yours is when I, you know, I set up my insurance to be, uh, you know, funded into a trust for my wife so that she doesn't have to make those decisions. She doesn't have to think. Someone will help do the thinking for her. But then I bought a whole, a totally separate policy um, and, and that's just the bank has um, an assignment on that insurance policy so that if some when something happens to me, if our home's not paid off, that, uh, you know, the bank will get paid and then the remainder of that little policy will will go to, you know, to her outright. Right. But uh, and, it's, and it is a thing of of discipline. And I love my wife, but I, I know my wife. Right. I think, excuse me, I think in that situation, you know, maybe having a paid off home is the best thing because then she doesn't have to worry about it. You know, she can go, you know, go on with her daily life and yeah. have to work, you know, pay the taxes, pay the insurance and she's fine. Yep. But um, depending on who's taking care of her, who's overseeing those funds, you know. Yeah. And that's Pinnacle Trust. Better take care of her. I hope that uh, I hope that doesn't that doesn't come to fruition. But sure. it, just in case, but you're right. You're spot on. It is. Yeah. I think it's 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 a case by case basis. Right. And I actually told my husband the exact opposite. Like, if something were to happen to me, take the life insurance. Do not pay off the house. Yeah. And I even like did just a quick little jot down of the numbers. Not that it, you know, not that I would have to justify like my I guess afterlife instructions to him. But <laughs> just in case he wanted to try to question me after I was dead, you know, here's how I'm right. Right. Um, you know. <laughs> you know, and it's funny we're kind of laughing about it, and uh, 
but it's a good conversation to have. But most people, it's morbid, and most people don't want to talk about their death or when they're not here. So, but if you stick your head in the sand, then you know you kind of put. That's a lot of stress you leave on a loved one when you're gone when you don't have those tough conversations. It's shocking how many people don't even want to have life insurance because it's kind. You know, they associate it with being, you know, morbid, like you said. Right, right, right. And they're doing such a disservice to their family. I, I see it all the time, unfortunately. No, that was a good observation, Neil. That's why you get paid the big bucks. That's why, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah, and it shows you though. But just the fact that we're having that part of the conversation it shows you that, I, in my mind, all those times that I've told her that, that's me being sensible. That's in my mind. Yeah. That's that's right. me saying, hey, you won't, you know, because you, you won't have to worry about. Uh, that bill, that'll be a bill off your, because I know how she is. She's a checklist person, so she's going to say, I got to go here and here and here. But if that if that's <laughs> off the list, then that's something she can't worry about. That's There's no chance that she gets foreclosed upon. There's no chance that she gets thrown out of her home. She'd have that to be able to reset, if you will. And obviously, it was bad advice. Well, I'll tell you what, Neil. This is what I'm going to do for you, man. I'm going to come have a conversation with Laura so that when you're not here, we're just going to, we'll take care of paying all of her bills for her at Pinnacle. And then she won't have to worry about doing any of that. And, and, and then you're in good shape, man. We'll take everything off her checklist. <laughs> there you go. I'll just say, hey, don't worry about it. Just call Martin. and Just call, you know, and okay, so you said that kind of tongue in cheek, but man, that's what we want. That's what I want. That's what, you know, when it gets down to the brass tacks of it, that is, that is what we want our clients to come to and say, you know, hey, I told my wife that and if you know when I'm no longer here, just call Martin or call Stacy or call Reed. Like that's a win. That is when we have done our job. Is when our clients are comfortable enough to go. You know, just call them because they're gonna they're gonna take care of everything. All right, sorry, I bullied that call or I bullied the conversation. You guys can we can. <laughs> I know we got a lot of stuff to uh, stuff to talk about. Well, I mean, so. I'm interested in this next one, um, <clears throat> Michelle. What is a no closing cost refinance, and who benefits from it? Um, So the borrower ultimately is who should always benefit in a refinance transaction. Um, And one of the biggest things that people struggle with when they're looking at refinancing is whether the benefit is going to outweigh the cost. So the, you know, your cost comes from actually the process of refinancing. You have attorney's fees, simply lender fees, appraisal fees and all that. And you have to figure out how long you're going to stay in the house and what the costs are and what the savings are Um, with a no closing cost refinance. So in that situation, your closing costs would all be paid by a lender credit um, at the time of the refinance. So you're not actually incurring any additional debt to refinance or having to pay that out of pocket. Um, You're, you know, you would essentially just refinance whatever the outstanding balance of your current loan is. Now, the way that they have is that you may not get the absolute lowest interest rate available. Say, right now, interest rates are incredibly beautiful again. Um, So say you're going to be able to refinance at 3.5% on a 30-year fixed. Instead of going all the way to the 3.5%, you might take a 3.75%, and that comes along with a lender credit that's going to cover all of your closing costs. So then, essentially, when you make your very first payment on the new loan, you're not you're already breaking even on it, and you're going to you're going to save money every single month. Um, it's easier right now to do that than probably ever before because the amount of appraisal waivers that we're seeing, so people that are able to refinance and don't need a new appraisal, um, that has it's increasing substantially year over year because it, I, that's a whole different conversation as to why. Yeah, I was about but, to say that might be a 
topic we can but I won't yeah. I won't go down that rabbit hole I'll let <laughs> right. you finish your that's thoughts that's definitely a rabbit hole um, but but yeah so that's something that we do a lot of um, in my office being a broker we do have access to a little bit lower fees than some lenders do so we have that kind of benefit on our side but most people don't know how long they're going to have a home the typical mortgage right. these days is held three to five years so when you're looking at refinancing if it's going to take you you know 24 to you know 36 months to break even it, it may not always make sense but if you know that you're going to you know especially if it's a kind of a younger family that knows that they're going to have you know kids and they're going to want to move up to a bigger home someday doing those no closing cost refinances can make a, you know it can it can make a big or a big difference for them because if they're able to drop their interest rate even you know a half a point or three quarters of a point that's going to save them money in the long run but they don't have to worry about you know what when that break break-even point is going to occur. Interesting. So one of the questions, too, that that I have, um, and I'll pose this to you, Michelle, and I'm going to play Neil's village idiot role. <laughs> um, but so, you know, when people are trying to qualify and also figure out, you know, what their interest rate is going to be, that's all driven by, you know, their credit score. And one of the things that and it's kind of crazy, you know, I'm, I'm going to admit this as a guy who's been in our industry for, you know, for 15 years, the rules of how to have good credit are, are, are the rules of the game for credit are not published yet. You know, you're, you're, you have to play by them. And, um, you know, there was something that, that you said in one of our conversations earlier that really kind of surprised me where, you know, a lot of people are looking at different sites to get their credit scores, but those may not be the, credit scores that the mortgage companies go off of. Will you talk a little bit about, you know, um, the difference between, you know, a credit karma and a mortgage, you know, credit score? And then how do people win the credit game? Like, what are the things you you should really focus on if you're trying to, someone's trying to improve their credit to be able to, um, you know, to be able to, to get a better interest rate? Um, yeah, absolutely. So with your credit score, um, one of the things we kind of talked about earlier, Martin, was that it's this number that has this huge impact on your life, but you don't really know what it is. You can go to all of these different sites like Credit Karma and most of your credit card companies are telling you what your credit score is these days. But there are a ton of different models um, for how they formulate these scores. So in the mortgage industry, we use three different models. There's the FICO 2, FICO 3, and FICO 5. Well, FICO is actually on, I think, FICO model number 10 now. But the mortgage industry is not adopting those because as these FICO models improve or you know, they have newer ones, like 6, 7, 8, they've, they deemed that those were more favorable to the consumer than the lender. So they're holding on to these older scoring models. Oh. Well, if you go on to Credit Karma, they use um, something called a Vantage score, which is not used at all in the mortgage industry. So with people being on, t you know, seeing these Credit Karma ads on TV and they think, oh, I'll go find out what my credit score is. And they pop on there and they see that they have, you know, a 700. Well, then they call me and then they get mad at me when I pull their credit score and it's actually not a 700. Um, the odds of it being, you know, the same on my end as it is on Credit Karma it happens, but it's pretty rare. Typically, ours are a little bit less than whenever it shows on Credit Karma. Every now and then, it'll actually surprise us, and it'll be more than it shows on Credit Karma. But um, yeah, it's it that's it's a really frustrating part of our industry sure. right now. I think um, because because people. Do 
don't know what their credit score is. And yep. if you don't understand that there are different scoring models, it can be really frustrating because that credit score is a huge part of where your interest rate comes from. Right. And it's like different things make up your credit score. Like, you know, I know, on, you know, if you make on-time payments, that's got to be one of the the bigger ones. And then, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like if you have a credit card or if you have a, Oh my gosh, I'm re- revolving credit. Or so if you have like a a line of credit or a credit card, they look at like the percentage of the credit that you're using, right? Right. And that's right. probably the yeah. So as you, big of that's actually bigger. one of the that's one of the biggest parts of your credit score. So your payment history is the has the largest impact. Typically, that's <laughs> going to be about thirty five percent of your score. Okay. So you can pay your bills on time for. 10 years and then all of a sudden you go to the doctor you get a large bill maybe you moved during the process and the bill goes to a different address and you missed it or you know somehow they didn't get it to you and you get one collection that pops up it can hit your score for a hundred points and all of those years of on-time payments just went right out the window because it doesn't matter Boo. I agree. i'm I giving agree. the thumbs down sign yes. for that that's um, awful thankfully there have been some improvements so if it is a medical collection typically you can get it pulled off of your credit these days but but yeah your payment history is huge um and while i'm talking to payment history if for any reason you ever had to make a decision on being late on a credit card or a car payment or your mortgage always let it be the credit card or your car payment because um, a, a late more a mortgage late is going to hit you far worse to your score and then also if you have a, a late car payment or a late credit card payment it's not going to stop you from getting a mortgage down the road but it could put a hold on mortgage plans or refinance plans or buying a new home for sometimes as much as 12 to 24 months um, if you have a mortgage late so so it's definitely, if you ever had to choose, it's definitely better to always pay the mortgage on time and, you know, skip out on a different bill if you had to. Right. Uh, so you know, and I realize like sometimes, and we, we say that, but sometimes life does happen to people where, you know, you'll have a two person home, uh, that, I mean, a two income home and, you know, one, one of the incomes is lost because of, you know, layoffs or, or, you know, or or any number of things. It could be a medical related yes, issue. Sickness, and we death. had a, I mean, a child's getting sick. You just, you never, yeah, you never know. So, I mean, it's, you know, I know we were kind of not being flippant about it, but like those things can and, and do happen to people who by all intents and purposes, like pay their bills on time and are not, you know, trying to scam and scheme. And yeah. uh, we actually had a guest and we'll have to bring him back on. Cause that we had technical issues on that show, but we talked about, you know, how people get in trouble with, bankruptcy issues and um and it's a lot of times it's a something that comes it's a divorce it's a you know a death it's a losing a job something that comes from nowhere sickness that mm-hmm. that hits you so anyway sorry i, I digress i just what were thought, you gonna say neil yeah let me a, a quick aside here for a, a future a future show you want to touch on it now briefly you can but a future show i just realized something we need to do talk about building credit i was thinking about this with young people like uh you know my daughter's a freshman in college about to turn 19 how does she go about the process of beginning to build some credit? Yeah. Because, you know, she's just 19 here in a couple of months, and so she's not really thinking about that right now, but she'll be, because of the way this damn life thing works, she'll be yep. she'll be 25 before you know it. How does she go about yeah. safely building some credit without getting in trouble? 
I mean, the best thing to do is to, for you as her parent to throw her on one of your credit cards that has a perfect credit history and a really low balance and make her an authorized user on that card. Then she's going to start to get her own credit card offers because she's going to kind of parlay off of your credit score, essentially. So if you're paying that on time and you've had that card open for 10 years, all of a sudden she's got a 10-year credit history with perfect you know, payment history. She's got low revolving debt, so she's hitting the mark on all of the big things that are going to build up her credit score. And from there, she can go, you know, whether she gets another small credit card that's just in her name, if she gets a small bank loan where, say, she borrows $1,200 and she pays it back, you know, 100 bucks a month at a time. You know, I'm not a huge fan of rushing out to buy a new car, but that's what a lot of people do out of college, unfortunately. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, getting the home first and then the new car, but... No, most kids don't see it that same way. Yeah. So. No, and I mean, and it's funny because Neil, that was—I mean, that was my predicament growing up. Is so, and I've told my story where you know we we lost everything, um, and you know when I was in middle school, high school foreclosure, you know, lost our house, bankruptcy, and you know, mom didn't have, you know, my dad had died, and mom didn't have the credit worthiness to say um to for me to get on a card with her and and of course and i didn't know anything about credit and so when when i got married and we went to buy our first house uh i had zero credit so and it was funny because the mortgage lender that was helping us was like it would have been better if you had bad credit because at least i have a history she's like you have zero credit whatsoever so you're a bigger risk to me because i have no idea what i'm looking at and i was like Awesome. That's great. You know, and it's one of the, it's another thing, like another, I guess another part of credit is that it can be hard to get credit if yeah. you don't have credit. And so that's what I was just about to say. It's like, credit cards and yeah, get them. but that's where, you know, that authorized user is really big. Um, there's a lot of like first time, like, I guess, credit builder credit cards that are out there now. And sometimes that's the best, you know, thing that kids can do. If you don't have a parent or somebody that can add you on, you know, as an authorized user to help you build your credit that way, those starter cards, I mean, yeah, they come along with some high fees and stuff typically, but you're, it's kind of an investment in your future. And so if it costs you a hundred bucks to get the card going and that's all that you can do, then it's worth doing it because as much as, you know, I don't want to discount Dave Ramsey because he's a great man. He's very intelligent, but it's, you have to have credit in these days. Like unless you're paying for everything in cash, which most of us are not, you just have to have it. I agree. Um, He's, he's really good. (laughs) He's really good, but he gets that wrong. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's I think he's spot on on how to reduce debt. Absolutely, um, it That's is his, his great when it comes yep. to debt reduction. Absolutely, but when it comes I, to utilizing debt and even you know even with mortgages, he says you know you save up until you have twenty percent to put down, and you always get a fifteen year mortgage. Never pay mortgage insurance. I, I don't agree with that either. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit too hey, because that is before we before we do. I was going to transition to that before we do. Let's pay a couple of bills here on on the show. Speaking of <laughs> cool. speaking of debt, I'll take a water break while you do that. This podcast also brought to you in part by the refrigeration company trc owned and operated by jeremy wattler he's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years including five as a national service manager at trc they understand that great service means being responsive and they're highly trained responsible and dedicated staff are available 24 7 to ensure your complete satisfaction they specialize in ammonia refrigeration but they work on any other hfc hcfc or co2 systems they're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage, 
warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. They can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection, calibration, vibration, analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Wattler, 251-348-8533. Or email him at jeremy at com. You can follow TRC at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefrigco.com. We're also brought to you by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee and Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. They have five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience. And with their different areas of expertise, the doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. It's a Family practice, the entire family can be seen no matter the age or severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. They offer both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off work for multiple visits. So with sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get more work done in one visit, which ultimately saves the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, call Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. It's EliteDentalCare.com. And last but not least, we're brought to you by Lentz and Little. They're a veteran-owned Mississippi firm that serves the entire state for business advice and commercial litigation from Oxford to Gulfport and everywhere in between. Whether you're having trouble paying your debts or someone isn't paying you what you're owed, Lentz and Little can quickly advise you on your best course of action. They have more than 60 years of collective experience representing banks, businesses, and individuals in defaulted loan workouts, collections, repossessions, foreclosures, and bankruptcies. They offer creative solutions to financial problems, and they have the versatility you need, regardless of whether you need help with general business advice, issues with payment of taxes or representation in state, federal, or bankruptcy court. Linson Little can help you arrange your finances and assets, limit your exposure, and protect you and your family should financial disaster strike. If you're in need of advice or assistance with your financial situation, call Jarrett Little at 228-867-6050, or visit their website, lentslittle.com. That's L-E-N-T-Z little.com or email Jarrett, J-A-R-R-E-T-T at lintzlittle.com. Your initial consultation by phone or in person is free of charge. So you were saying, Martin? I'm unmedicated adult ADD. I totally forgot what I was saying. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, medica- not medicated, but I remember... Uh, is it uh, is it worth saving up to put twenty percent down, or uh, oh, yeah. to avoid mortgage insurance, as as uh, Mr. Ramsey advises? So we're gonna let, actually I'm gonna let Michelle take that take that answer. No, um, I do not believe it's worth saving up twenty percent. Uh, mortgage insurance has it got such a bad rap. So I think people thought it was so expensive to have it, and it's 
just simply not these days. It's really affordable. You can put down as little as three to five percent, as you know, depending on whether you're a first-time home buyer or not. And once you pay down that twenty percent, then the mortgage insurance is going to go away. But if you're renting for four years to save up twenty percent, you've literally just thrown all of that money down the trash can. I mean, and you're not building up equity in anything. And so, I, I don't, yeah, I think that that's really a really bad piece of advice too. That you need to have twenty percent down to buy a home because you simply don't these days. I mean, you can you can buy a home with as little as zero down, really, um, depending on which program you're using and what you qualify for. But to save up, to, I mean, twenty percent. I mean, it can take years for someone to do that. And so, is it worth you know? Is it worth paying an extra fifty to seventy five dollars a month to be able to go ahead and own your own home and start building up that equity? I, I think it is. Um, it's it's just far more affordable than it's ever been in the past. I mean, it continues to fall year over year. It gets more and more affordable to have that mortgage insurance on there. So, I mean, who has time to do all that? <laughs> no, I mean, and, and, you know, I think the difference in, in how, how things work now versus when, you know, like our parents were becoming homeowners and it's totally different environments too. Absolutely. So like, I remember, you know, uh, my mom talking about the eighties when, you know, well, the 70s and 80s when they were trying to buy homes and they were doing some loan assumptions because interest rates were so high. It's like we're 16, talking, 18, yeah, 20%. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it was a different world. And, you know, and my mom, too, they had tons of equity and, you know, in their house. And, but when we started, we, we ended up in a, is a rural financing yeah. deal we yes, bought yeah. and yep and so when and it was good for me especially so I moved back from DC you know I had two kids that were you know I was responsible for you know I was freshly divorced and you know and I was and as Jen and I were trying to put our pieces together you know and then we ended up getting married it was a really good option for us to um, you know to buy a home that was where we qualified for the USDA and we still put you know, a good chunk of, of money into it. Um, you know, but we were fortunate enough. Jen was, Jen did a lot better of saving money. Of course she didn't have, she didn't have kids and she had never been married. And so she was able to save a chunk of money. And I felt like, you know, if anyone who has kids, you know, you've seen the meme where there's the kid throwing the cash out the window, uh, because that's what it feels. That's That's what it felt like, you know, when, when I was a single dad with, you know, with two kids as well. And so I think it's just like with investments and as you were talking about earlier, it's, it's different for each person. Each situation is different. There may be a need for the rural financing or someone may have the 5% that they can put down. And Right. And I think we're fortunate here in the South. Um, I'm assuming that's where most of your list- listeners are. Yeah, but, throughout the Southeast. Yeah. yeah. So in Mississippi, especially, most of the time it's more expensive to rent than it is to own. Yep. Now, if like, some of my best friends live in California. I used to live in California. It was cheaper usually out there to be able to rent than to buy because the housing prices are so expensive. But here in Mississippi, I mean, you're going to pay more for rent. You're going to you're not going to gain any kind of equity, you know, by renting. So it, it to me, it's it's always better. To, you know, we're not. I'm not going to say always better to buy because there's always going to be that. Sure, you know, there might be a need. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But for most people, it's going to make more sense. 
buy than to rent over the long term. I've got these really nerdy, colorful, cool spreadsheets that I send to some of my, you know, kind of skeptical um, first-time buyers and aren't really sure if they should continue to rent or if they should, you know, buy. And then when we're looking at, you know, down payment and yep. whether they do something like the USDA loan that has zero percent financing or do they save up money, and I can show them what the numbers really truly look like and that impact on, you know, what their equity position is going to look like in five years if they continue to rent or if they're buying. It's pretty fascinating to look at the numbers like that, but that's something, you know, they don't really teach you that in, in high school. Definitely not in high no. school, in college. You know, you're lucky to get some of it in economics if that's what, you know, your focus is on, but otherwise, you don't get it unless you start talking to people about it. You're right. I mean, and if you talk about the rent, and I'll talk about just for the Metro Jackson area, I'm sure in like Oxford, Neil, the rent, the rent numbers may be a little different. I would imagine probably higher because of, you know, being with the school there. But I know like in the Madison, Metro Jackson, the Madison area, it's, um, you know, about a dollar per square foot for renting. So you think about a 1500 square foot home, which is, you know, generally your normal three bedroom, two bath house, you're talking $1,500 a month. Well, I know the home that we owned that Jen, our first home that Jen and I owned was four bedrooms, two bath, you know, and it was like 2,200 square feet. And our note was a thousand dollars a month. And so I had seven more hundred square feet in an extra bedroom and I was paying, you know, $500 a month less. And less, you're getting a tax write off, you're building equity. Right. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of time for people who are real transit, you know, and and we have a lot in Jackson, you know, doctors that come in that work for the university and they'll be here for a little period of time. And they, you know, there may be reasons why it makes so much more sense to rent versus. Sure. Yeah. In a situation like that. Yeah. It may not make a lot of sense. Yep. But, um, but you know, for some people, as long as you're going to stay in a home, you know, three to five years, typically, then, then yeah, it's going to make more sense than throwing away that money on rent. Now, if you're in an area where properties are appreciating, you know, substantially year over year, then, you know, it's, it's only going to help you as far as, but I think some of the people that it can hurt sometimes are those ones that do move around every, you know, 18 to 24 months, because some people do that. And then they never really truly build up that equity because, you know, they're, using it to pay real estate agents to yep. sell and then buy and closing costs and whatnot. But so, I mean, and that was the, it's funny, Stacy and I were having the conversation. This was uh, not too long ago. Cause we were, I have a home in Jackson and we were looking at, you know, should we sell it and, you know, and, and buy a house in, in Madison. And, you know, so my kids are in private school because we're in Jackson. Um, and so, like, I was just too, doing the math of all of it, and I could not get the math to work out for selling the home right now because of, and most of it was because of what we get eaten up in the cost of the transaction. Right. And, um, you know, so you, I think people be thoughtful. Like, if you move around a lot, yeah, it probably is just easier to rent than, because you do have the transaction cost, not from your side, but from, you know, I mean, I realize there's transaction costs on your side, but on the real estate agent, the, usually, the seller. Right. They're usually fractional compared to the real estate fees, unfortunately, but that's how you, that's how you get them sold fastest. <laughs> Indeed. And on, I think that, you know, I don't have the time to sell my own home nor no. the expertise to, <laughs> to sell my own home. So if I'm doing it, like I'm hiring a professional, right? you know, just like I would advise people who are serious about their investment portfolios, don't do it on your own. Nope. You know, hire a professional to help you I out agree. there. I agree. I mean, I can do it. I, I see it day in and day out. I'm going to hire a professional every single time. Indeed. So. Indeed. So let me, let me circle back. When you'll, before I do, was, did you have any no, no, thing I'm, you wanted I'm to just, comment on? I'm just listening in. 
<laughs> Thanks for being here, Neil. Indeed. So I, one of the things I wanted to circle in on is, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback off of what Neil, you know, was talking about with, you know, with a, with her teenage, with a teenager or, you know, a kid that's, that's approaching college. Um, you know, as they're getting ready to go to school, you know, what are, what are some of the, maybe some tips or uh, things that you would have for someone who's going to be a couple of years out from, you know, buying home, you know, I know you said, don't go buy a car. Like what are some tips or trades, or maybe even for someone who's looking at buying a home in the next 12, 24 months, like what are some things they should avoid doing? You know, if they're making those plans, what are some things that they certainly should be doing? Yeah. Um, you know, trying to help people figure out what makes, what sets them up the best for being able to buy. So the, um, the first thing that they need to do is take a look at their credit. Um, you know, even if they think that they're a year or two years out from buying, have a mortgage lender pull it because it's going to, like I said earlier, it's not going to be the same as what they see on Credit Karma, but they need to take a look at it. Most of them have never even pulled their credit. They have no idea that there may be, you know, a medical collection or there maybe there was an apartment that they moved out of and there was a, you know, an $82 electric bill that got missed somewhere along the way. But the first thing is just take a look at your credit and see what's on there. Sometimes there's student loans and some kids don't even know that their parents took out student loans and they're co-signed on them. And, you know, you just need to see, you just need to know what's out there to begin with. Second, um, always pay all those payments on time, you know, from the time that you think you might want to start buying a house until you do. And then, and then the, the biggest reason I say don't buy a car is because that's what a lot of people like to kind of pat themselves on the back with when they get their first, you know, real job. It's like, oh, I got my real job. I'm going to go out there and get myself, you know, some, some people, they want a new Accord. Some guys might want a new truck. Somebody, some people might want that new BMW because they got a great new job. But, you know, your debt to income ratio is a huge part of, um, the mortgage, you know, equation as well. So when we're looking at it and some of these kids go out and they think, well, I can afford a $600 car note. That's crazy. That's half of, you know, that could, that's half of what your mortgage payment could be. Um, and typically if you buy your house, they're going to approve you probably for, you know, whatever you want as far as the car after you have your house, but the, the car can certainly stop you from getting approved for the house initially. So, um, that, you know, that's, that's why I'm not a big fan of <laughs> buying the car before you buy the house. Um, so I would definitely hold off on that. I mean, and the thing is like a lot of people want to get that car for a status symbol, but I promise you being a homeowner is far greater than having a super nice fancy car. Cause at the end of the day, unless it's a truck or a big SUV, I mean, you're not going to lay down and sleep in that thing, but you can, you know, <laughs> you can, that house is going to put a roof over your head and create far more memories, you know, and, um, and wealth for you sure. than, than the vehicle. Well, so let me ask one more question too. It just, I'm so unmedicated ADD. Um, so people, cause I had this issue happen to me. We were talking about, you know, when you're buying your first homes, kind of talk about the difference. If you're a W2 employee versus like, if you own a, uh, a business or you own, or you work on commissions or you're 1099, like what, what's the difference and what are some of the things that you need? They need before they come to you as well? Yeah, so that, that's a great question, Martin. Um, so there's a few different things here. If you're a W-2 employee, then it's pretty easy to qualify as, you know, as far as your income because it's going to be stable. Um, they're going to be able to look at a past you know, trend for it. 
Um, and they're going to see that, you know, it's someone else that's paying you every month. When you work on commission, you know, they've got to see a minimum one year of making commission because they've got to know that you're going to actually make the income, right. you know, and that there's some stability to that. They really want to see two years. Um, that they and when they say see two years, you're talking about tax returns. Yes, two okay. years of tax returns um, and the income. So actually um, with so with commission income, there's actually just a huge change in it over the past year. Really? They don't require commission um, income to have tax returns anymore for most borrowers because we can't write off those 2106 expenses anymore, which are like your unreimbursed yep. business expenses. I got smoked on that when I yeah, did my taxes. That was a fun one it for sucked. most people last year. It really sucked. <laughs> that was another um, huge reason why I wanted to open my <laughs> You can write off of your business expenses. Yeah, but, um, so they don't, so that doesn't, that's not taken into play anymore, um, which is really helpful for some borrowers. But then if you are self-employed and you're, or, you know, you're paid 1099 and you have your own company, you're going to need to have at least two years of tax returns. I mean, every now and then you can skate by with just one, but everything else is going to have to be absolutely perfect um, to get by with just the one year. Awesome. Typically you're going to want at least two years because they want to see that you have that history and then they're going to average your last two years too. So if the first year you made $7,000 in your business and then the second year you made $70,000, well, they're not going to take that $70,000 most likely. Um, you know, it, the reason I say like most likely and usually is because we have a system that we sure. have to run all of our loans through sure. and they tell us what the guidelines are going to be. But then every now and then we'll get a few waivers and they'll let somebody slide by that only has, you know, one year or they won't make us average the two years, but we don't really know until we're that particular borrower and that's where how much money they're putting down you know comes into play and what their credit looks like they're looking at the overall picture so it's it's yep. hard to say in every case this is the you know the situation but well we got surprised and and I didn't know and I mean and I started working with a professional but I got June and I got surprised when we bought our first home because I was on a you know variable income mm -hmm. uh you know earning fees and commissions I wasn't w2'd and um I'd been with my employer for two years, but not two tax years. Yeah. So it really, so we ended up having to qualify completely on just Jen's income. Right. And you want to talk about Chinese fire drill. I was trying to pull everything that I could. We only had one thing in her name and guess what it was? A car. A car. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's okay. That's, well, That's not terrible, but... Well, it yeah. ate up all of her uh, debt to income. So, um, yes, but yes. <laughs> so, I know we're going down a little rabbit hole, but I'm going to take the liberty to do that since I'm a co-host here. <laughs> um, but so, I, we had leased uh, a Honda Pilot in Jen's name. And so, it's funny because people are like, oh, you work, you're, you're an investment guy. You should know everything about credit. No, no, no. No, I don't work in credit. I work in investments. I don't do loans. Right. And so, I go back to the Honda dealership and it was my buddy who, you know, got us the Honda and Jen had a better credit score than me. So she got more favorable terms. And so I go up there kind of like, you know, this little dumb idiot, you know, the village idiot. And I'm like, Hey, uh, I need to refinance this lease into my name. And the credit guy looks at me and he's like, wants to refinance his lease. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's probably, they probably laughed at me. He looks at me and he's like, uh, 
you, you can't refinance a lease. You can either buy the car or you can trade it. So funny story, Jennifer is, you know, essentially like eight months pregnant with Gianna. We're trying to buy a house and all of this is, is going down and we have to get this car out of her name for her to be able to qualify under her, under her uh, income. And so though my son was with me and we are Mustang fanatics, like, like, uh, we love Mustangs. And so we're, I, you know, I was looking at practical things for a, a guy who's got three kids and, you know, and a, and a wife. And so I was looking at trucks and SUVs and I see this black Mustang <laughs> sitting up at the, in the used car lot. And I look at Christopher and I was like, let's go test drive it. So we tested and it was a five, it was a, it was a five liter. Oh, oh, we're getting there. So I called Jennifer and uh, I was like, do you want to, do you want the house? And she's like, yes. I was like, I'm getting a Mustang then. And she's like, aren't you insane? She's like, we're about to have it. So I have pictures. I'll post, I'll have to actually, I'll post the pictures on this show behind. I have pictures of me and Gianna. I've got Gianna in her car seat in the back of this Mustang. And I told her, I was like, if you want a house, I'm getting a Mustang. Guess you both got what you wanted. Yeah, well, guess <laughs> guess who doesn't have a Mustang anymore? I guess that's you. <laughs> but you still have a house. We still have a home, yes. So, yeah, we got surprised by the, you know, uh, not having, I needed two years of tax returns with my yeah. variable income. So, one thing um, that is beneficial to some borrowers, it's not something that I recommend to many people, but if there is someone that's in that situation that just absolutely has to move, they need to get a loan right now, um, they do have like bank statement loans have come back for self-employed borrowers. So they can go in and they can actually look at like the past 12 or 24 months and see the deposits into your account and average those and use that for income these days. Now it's, you know, the interest rate is going to be a little bit more, but sure. for that person that is just dead set on, I got to get into a house right now or I have to refinance, you know, for some reason right now, um, then it can be, you know, it's a good, it's a good program that's out there. And then you pay that higher note for, you know, six, 12 months, refinance it back into a reasonable mortgage. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it's out there. And so it's, and it's helpful because there's a lot of people that get caught in that hole and they just, they don't even know that they've created it. We see it a lot um, with, with accountants, um, investors, doctors, attorneys, you know, and they've been, you know, a lot of times we'll see doctors and attorneys that have worked as W2 employees of hospitals or clinics for years and then for whatever reason that clinic or hospital decides to change their pay structure and now all of a sudden they're 1099 they're making great income yeah. and they can't buy a home I mean that's that is the craziest thing to tell somebody I'm sorry like you you have a really great income you've got great credit you've got great assets but we can't really do anything for you because you don't fit into this bucket that's been created for us no, yeah. we have an algorithm that you need to that's fit right. into that's right you're outside the box <laughs> that's so funny that is so funny. That's bizarre. That's yeah. There's it is crazy. I'm, I'm, That's I'm, where that stated income loan, you know, was really good back in the day. Um, and then as they kept lowering the credit score on who could qualify for that stated income loan, that's when problems came up. But Oh, you're still, talking about like for 2008? Like back the, yeah, back in the subprime days. You know, Man. people could come in and they could say, well, this is how much I make. And, and they did actually make that money. They might not have the tax returns to back it up at the time or a W-2 to back it up at the time. Yep. Um, just because whatever their pay situation may be, but there was a need for it in the market. It and it just got exists. abused. Yeah, yeah. it just got abused and they took it away. I mean, it's, it's I bet you, there, it's I bet you we'd do a whole, and I know we're running out of time for today, but I bet you we could do a whole show on like oh, yeah. what happened in 08 and the, oh, everything behind the mortgage industry. And we, oh, we may I have to, talk about that we may have to do that and just bring you back in as a guest. Cause I think that was,
fascinating to hear about it from the mortgage side. What was the name of that movie about that? Uh, the Big Short, Short absolutely. The Big Short, one of the most fascinating yeah. movies I've ever seen. It, the, the movie. I feel like it's, it was about all of my friends, you know. <laughs> like, Strippers in Las Vegas? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to speak to their lifestyle. But. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I, that was, and the book was really good. And usually, you know, it's the books are better than the movies. They did a phenomenal job with that movie, yeah. like breaking down really complex yeah. financial instrument topics and issues yes, and into simple uh simple and easy to understand yeah. stuff yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely well michelle we really appreciate your time today thanks so much for joining us here thanks on so much for having me on i appreciate it uh martin it was a lot of fun now a lot of fun we'll get back together again next week with another edition of mind on my money podcast presented by pinnacle trust don't forget pintrust.com p-i-n-n trust.com tell them uh, martin stacy and the people there that you heard about pinnacle trust on mind on my money or on any of the mpw digital uh, family of podcasts and you'll get 10 percent off your first year's fees so for martin palomo i'm neil mccready that does it for this edition of mind on my money podcast until next time take care